0: Welcome back to another episode of the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast. I'm your host Woodrow Bellman III. Today is Wednesday, July 15th and on today's episode we'll be learning about some of the latest data collected about how the volume of flight operations is slowly starting to increase again after the lowest points of air travel volumes that occurred in April and May due to the COVID-19 pandemic. But first, I wanted to remind our listeners that you can still view our recent Cabin Chats virtual series on demand. Check out www.gcasummit.com slash Cabin Chats for all of the details on that. I recently had the chance to catch up with Daniel Baker. He is the CEO of FlightAware, which is the provider of the world's largest flight tracking and data platform. We discussed some of the trends they have been monitoring within the commercial airline and business aviation traffic and what that means for passenger demand for the rest of the summer moving into the fall as well as some interesting uses of artificial intelligence and machine learning capabilities that flight aware has introduced into its platform so let's get into our discussion with flight aware Daniel, if you could just first give us a little bit of introduction to your position with FlightAware and also some of your day-to-day responsibilities for our audience.
1: Absolutely, Richard. Thanks for having me. Uh, Exciting to be here. It's an exciting time in in aviation technology. So I've been a fan of aviation for all my life, uh, but became a pilot in 2003. And it was at that time that flying around, I became really exposed to flight operations and air traffic control and how general aviation works. And that was really the, um, the motivation and the catalyst for creating FlightAware, uh, wanting people to be able to track flights and make travel easier for people and more efficient. And uh, it, was, uh, it was really a labor of love and a passion that's turned into this global uh, flight data platform. So I started FlightAware uh, in in two thousand and five, so the company turned fifteen years old in March and grown quite a bit. So as far as roles during the during the early days, I tried to basically do everything, whether it be uh, from the customer support to uh, documentation to writing the uh, the web interface to APIs and uh, working with with governments and everything in between. You know fortunately, as we've grown quite a bit, we have about a little over 100 people right now, uh, most of those in Houston and most of those on the software engineering side. So um, a really, really sharp team of folks. And so my role has, has pivoted. Unfortunately, I don't really get to write software anymore. And, um, but I do still get to interact with customers a lot, uh, which is something that I enjoy because I can learn about the industry. And We have a really wide array of customers, more than uh, 15,000 uh, business aviation uh, aircraft operators, more than 1,000 FBOs. Um, And then uh, more than 200 airlines are using either our data or technology or services. And so I spend most of my time uh, listening to customers, talking about challenges in in the industry, and then working with the product folks at FlightAware and with the data scientists to be able to help solve those problems. And uh, we've made tremendous strides going from being a U.S. flight tracking company in 2005 to a global data provider in 2020, um, and just had a had a grown a lot to become central to all of aviation as it relates to the technology platform and decision making i
0: see and it's been a you know it's you know we've been covering uh flight aware over the you know last couple of years and uh, it's been interesting to see how you all have grown. And it really has, it's, you know, it still is the, the kind of the main way that you're able just as a non <laughs> kind of aviation expert, able to see flights that are in your area. Um, but could you also just give our audience a sense of the kind of massive size of networks of, you know, ground station ADS-B receivers that FlightAware has globally? Cause that that's always been really very interesting to me.
1: Yeah, it's, it became evident to us that we needed to have our own way of collecting data directly from aircraft. When flight were first started, the data was provided by the FAA. And the challenge there was that it was, of course, limited to the FAA's coverage. And we expanded over the years. And so we get data from about 45 countries right now in similar ways. We get it to the FAA, um, which is great, but 45 is still pretty small if you're trying to have worldwide coverage of flights and so in about 2008 or 2009 we began building our own ADS-B receivers and this is before many airplanes had, had adsb out capability you know maybe the um the really long haul aircraft uh particularly on the airliner side would have it but it was only a few percent of the world's fleet was equipped with adsb but it was such a cool technology and it it enabled us to deploy ground stations and pick up data in parts of the world where we weren't able to get data from air traffic control. And so that became really popular, uh, both with our uh, you know free services on on the website, the mobile app, like you're talking about, as well as for our aircraft operators that suddenly the expectations changed, right? That They, they wanted a position more often than every 15 or 30 minutes. They were getting used to seeing them all over. So we've really ramped up our ability to both Uh, manufacture, distribute, and operate ground stations since then. Um, So we currently have about 28,000 ground stations in 200 countries. And this consists of uh, both uh, devices that we uh, manufacture ourselves in both Texas and Germany, uh, as well as uh, devices that individuals can build using the open source software and the hardware that we distribute onto the market as well. And that's called Pioware. Uh, and both of these are really the same software platform, uh, but 28,000 ground stations is uh, is where we stand today, and we're continuing to grow that network by more than uh, 500 a month. And the expectations have really changed. When we when we first deployed uh, these ground stations, we thought that the goal would maybe be to supplement our air traffic control data with. Uh, a handful of positions at cruise, for example, and if the airplane was at cruise at 30, 40,000 feet, then we'd be able to uh, have line of sight to that. And then it became that we wanted it for all phases of flight. And then the latest focus for FlightAware has been on the surface, so actually tracking these airplanes as they taxi around an airport. Um, So we've been focused on getting line of sight to all of the cargo areas and de-icing pads and FBOs and taxiways and runways and that's a, a much harder challenge than getting line of sight to the air. Uh, but that's that's been a real focus lately, as well as, of course, uh, redundancy and reliability. So we're going to continue to grow that network. Um, and it's one of the really valuable uh, data sources uh, in, in our platform. And, of course, um, we we have a terrific partnership with Arion, uh, which has ADSD receivers on the Iridium Next satellite constellation. And so we're able to receive all of the surveillance data from Ariane so that for our customers that are conducting uh, transoceanic or transpolar operations, we can actually use ADS-B to track those airplanes anywhere in the world as well. So it's a really great uh, complementary partnership there.
0: Interesting. Yeah. And you know, since you did mention Ariane, um, follow up on that. How has, you know, since they went live uh, last year with their network, how has that? Been that process of you know integrating that data into this you know massive ground station uh, network and you know surveillance network that you have.
1: It's it's been really good you know although we do have twenty eight thousand ground stations in two hundred countries um, that's a small fraction of the world's surface and uh, it was always a problem for us that when it came to uh, transoceanic or transpolar we had to rely on far less frequent and, and less reliable position updates. And so it's been terrific to be able to um, have our hyperfeed platform automatically transition from our terrestrial data to the space-based data for our customers that need that. And we've got um, thousands of aircraft now subscribing to that service. Um, as you said, it went live last year, um, which is in great timing, both for the Gadis mandate that airlines and large aircraft operators Follow as well as for all sorts of efficiencies that operators are able to leverage by having global tracking. Um, so there's uh, probably a couple hundred airlines now that are using our fused data. Uh, and the cool thing from their perspective is, you as you asked about what's the experience like or uh, what's the impact, because we take so many positions and, and flight plan and data sources and we're so good at fusing it, um, our customers didn't have to do anything. So if you've been using FlightAware, whether it be uh, on the web through APIs, through one of our partners um, that take our data and put it into value-added applications like ASDs, it just started working. They didn't need to reconfigure the aircraft. They didn't need to uh, upgrade their applications or their hardware. It just suddenly, when we went live with Arian, they were getting at least a position a minute over the you know over the South Atlantic Ocean or over the North Pole. Um, and so we did all all that integration, and the data that Ariad sent was um, so so you know seamless and strong and powerful and uh, consistent with what we would expect from ADSD that neither flightaware nor um, you know our airline customers in particular uh, were impacted from the perspective of having to do more work. It just suddenly their operation was that much more efficient. So it was it's just been a terrific win, and the feedback has been incredible. I see,
0: and. You know, so over the last few months, um, and one of the things that FlightAware does regularly is put out press releases with information on sort of volume of flights that are occurring yeah. in different segments. Uh, and you know, of course, early March you, you, we had these COVID nineteen travel restrictions that kind of just nosedived yeah. airline traffic. Uh, but recently, uh, you all put out a press release June twentieth, which was, which was a weekend saying that um, in the business aviation segment, that finally uh, in that segment, flights per, on the daily volume were up over the level they were 2019, since you, you first started tracking this sort of decline in flights across all segments. Um, can you talk about that yeah. a little bit? Um, you know, can, can you just discuss what's been the impact of, of having that type of data and providing it to operators and, and airlines?
1: Yeah. So, you know, we've been trying to provide uh, everyone with some insight into what the impact is and and what to expect and what the trajectory is. I think people are finding that interesting, not just from an aviation, you know, enthusiast standpoint, but from an economic standpoint, uh, as well as from a planning standpoint for stakeholders. An example is um, I've talked to FBOs, for example. Uh, and they, I think in many cases, had to furlough folks in March and April for the reasons you described, and they're trying to get a sense of what travel is going to look like on a monthly basis, daily basis, and hourly basis. And I'll give you an example here, which is um, the the data that we've been releasing shows that although we, we have been seeing growth, um, and it was both in that, that weekend day you mentioned that was the first time since the downturn, as well as over the July 4th holiday, that growth has really been around the weekends um, and most recently the the July 4th holiday. And so I think what business aviation is seeing uh, is a, a real strong demand for leisure travel uh, so that's on the weekends but the the kind of the nuts and bolts Monday through Friday uh, hasn't. Uh, really recovered yet. And I, I don't think that's a function of business aviation. It's a function of people aren't having meetings yet. You know, conferences aren't happening. There's, everything has just been slowed down a little bit. So um, we're seeing continued growth, uh, particularly for leisure travel. Uh, and we're seeing a, a lot of charter and fractional flying. Um, so that that makes a lot of sense. For, uh, and as we speak with charter operators, they're saying they're seeing a lot of first-time uh, op, uh, charter customers as well. So we, we see a really strong recovery over the summer for business aviation. I think the question is going to be, you know, what does the fall look like when leisure travel generally goes down? Uh, you know, when are people going to uh, be traveling again uh, for, for work? And I think that's going to be the big thing that uh, de- decides, you know, what the recovery is going to look like for business aviation. But there's, there's no question that people are far more comfortable with the the uh, with flying on corporate aircraft than the the airline travel experience, and of course it's a lot easier for VA to be responsive and spin up and spin down uh, versus you know the sheer size of airlines and the complexity they face uh, from you know uh, their cost structures and and how their routes work and of course needing to publish schedules ahead of time. So the recovery in VA has been uh, quite a bit. Uh, faster than on the commercial aviation
0: side. And in, in about the, you know, that kind of, you know, up and down trend, considering the U.S. has, you know, kind of the biggest install base of business aviation operators, um, you know, they, they, yeah. usually there would be over the summer a lot of kind of Europe to U.S. flying. But, you know, as you look at those numbers um, in that, that singular day that, that we mentioned, was, is that consistent across all regions, or is it mainly kind of the U.S. that's seeing this, um, you know, a little bit of, of, of you know bounce back for business aviation flights?
1: The U.S. led it by far. The U.S. is the only place where we've seen growth. Um, and I I attribute some of that to just the, uh, the size of the country and the political landscape. And what I mean by that is um, people right now, when they're traveling, are doing domestic trips. Um, and they're doing uh, shorter trips, right? To your point, there's not a lot of U.S. Europe leisure flying right now, for example. Um, and so, um, both due to just concern and due to immigration and quarantine rules, so Europe, for example, was more impacted and has been slower to recover. Although it's recovering now on the BA side, and and for the reason being that you know, so many more of the flights are international, right? Whether it be um, within within Uh, You know, the Shenzhen area, maybe to and from UK, people do a lot of leisure flights uh, to and from the Middle East, for example, and that's just largely come to a halt. And so um, just where they're located in the world has made it harder uh, for for them to recover. Um, But, you know, the U.S. is so large and so many people can do domestic trips that um, the BA industry has been a a beneficiary of that. Um, I do think that the FBOs, which aren't seeing the volume on a weekly basis, they were before – Probably aren't seeing the same gallon, uh, uh, you know, volume and fuel as well, because to your point, there's not as much long haul flying.
0: And now, let, now that we kind of talked about the business jet side, um, you all are also sending out some of these reports on the commercial airline side as well, uh, yes. which we, you know, we have seen some. You've seen, you know, airlines are still flying. There are still some cabins. Will, will you even see them? Uh, all the way full, but a, a lot of planes are ob- obviously still grounded now. Uh, but on June twenty ninth, you, you did mention a, a, an interesting stat about uh, airline travel coming back a little bit. Can you tell us about that? What, what are you seeing on the commercial airline side as far as, as trends and, and you know kind of daily traffic?
1: Yeah, so you know we saw uh, traffic get down to probably almost eighty percent lower than it was year over year at the worst. That was probably in, in early April. Uh, and it's been on a steady recovery ever since then but it's it's not great yet uh, so right now we're probably down about 55 56 percent year over year so about half of the airline flying but, you know what i can say is that you know a couple of interesting observations one is i think it's important to look to china here china was the most impacted by this early on and so they you know they were impacted a month or two ahead of the rest of the world and so they really stopped a lot of their flying in late January and then in uh, in early February. Now, if we look at where they are, their recovery rate has been about the same that we've been seeing. And they're up to about minus minus 33 percent. So they're, you know, only down uh, a third uh, as of, you know, right around July 1st, let's say. Um, and so I think if, you know, if the whole world could be there in two, two months and three months, that would be a success story considering how bad it's been. Um, you know, the, the, so China was the first to recover. Uh, the U.S. has been on a slow upward trajectory. Europe was, was much later to recover. But what I can report is that uh, the July schedule from airlines, we saw a big bump, both in um, North America and in Europe, where uh, we just saw a huge uh, return to flying and the fastest uh, rate of new flights. Uh, or I should say resumed flights that that we've ever seen. So um, I'm optimistic that that will uh, continue. I'd say that right now, um, you know, we're looking at, you know, the end of July might be down um, in the U.S. 40% uh, year over year. So um, if if my optimism is correct and we're at down 30% or so in a month or two behind China, I think that's a success story given, you know, the situation that we're in right now.
0: And are airlines also using flight aware you know data like this, like you mentioned for business aviation for for flight you know planning and scheduling purposes?
1: I think that you know although we have a lot of airline customers who are using us for decision making, um, whether it be around surface um, or you know de-icing rates and predictions on arrival times, I think they're largely looking to booking as uh, as it, it kind of informs their their schedule. Um, we certainly send this information to them. And they can look at it from a, a macro level. Uh, my guess would be they are using this data to set expectations about maybe Q4 or Q1 of 2021, uh, but probably not as tactically as their their schedule data, which I think is uh, uh, pretty actionable.
0: And, you know, one of my uh, kind of favorite topics to watch FlightAware evolve within in recent years has been uh, you all have introduced some artificial intelligence and machine learning capabilities algorithms into this sort of massive set of, of data that you've been able to collect and, and you know, continue to collect. Uh, and you recently announced a partnership with Innovate ATM to integrate machine learning algorithms into your flight position status and foresight capabilities. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about what are the, what are the end users of FlightAware's platform get out of that new uh, partnership?
1: Yeah, it's really exciting for for the reasons that you mentioned, we we began working on a lot of this technology two or three years ago because uh, we were beginning to have solved the coverage problem, both with our tens of thousands of ground stations and Ariane space, based ads uh, We were starting to say, okay, you know, we're going to see diminishing returns in improving coverage. What we need to be focusing on is solving problems for our customers, not just giving them more information, but trying to determine what, why they want that information. You know, what challenges are they having? So um, our, our machine learning technology is called foresight. And so foresight takes our, Fifteen years of historical data, just petabytes of data. So, petabyte, of course, is a thousand twenty-four terabytes, and a terabyte is a thousand twenty-four gigabytes. So, um, it's incredible volumes of data, and it leverages, like you said, the idea that all of our historical data can be used to inform the future, and so foresight. Is, um, is, an, is a system that looks at everything that's happened in the past relating to where flights flew, um, deviations, holds, the impact of weather based on you know more than 10 years of weather data. And it creates models that we can run our real-time data through to predict the future. And so Foresight's first public applications are around predicting the time that an airplane lands and the time that the airplane is at the gate. And it's incredibly accurate. Uh, It uses our global coverage, and it uses our our historical data, and it can predict the gate in time within minutes, incredibly reliably, uh, a couple hours before landing, which the primary purpose originally was to help airlines and airports better operate. You might have seen an announcement we made with Frankfurt Airport last year, which was our first uh, airport customer. Fraport is using it to do uh, gate and stand Uh, allocation and personnel deployment and operate the frankfurt airport more efficiently Um, but this partnership with innovate is really cool because they're taking our foresight data in in an api and they also have some machine learning applications and they're taking our our foresight machine learning and putting it into their machine learning models and they're working to uh reduce taxi time prediction errors uh, to save uh, aircraft operators and airports uh, time and money. And so they have, um, uh, you know, a a great uh, set of customers that have basically reported that with our data, uh, they're going to be saving um, over 130,000 euros per day at the busiest airport. And they put together a case study on that. And it goes to show the value of the data and then taking it to the next step. Uh, and being able to, um, you know, solve problems rather than just provide information. So as it stands, on with back to flight or foresight, you know, over half of the ETAs for airlines are uh, in the U.S. are generated by foresight, which helps with, you know, gate assignments, holding airplanes, uh, you know, fueling, scheduling, crew assignments. But more importantly, uh, I think for the traveler, this means – more efficient operation, right? So uh, for travelers are benefiting from this, whether they're using FlightAware or not, right? All that really matters is uh, are the decision makers, whether it be uh, the airport, whether it be an ASP, whether it be uh, an airline, if they're using FlightAware, then everyone everyone benefits downstream. So it's a really big innovation and it's kind of level jumping in the industry for what we're doing
0: interesting okay yeah i did not i didn't realize the etas are are generated by by your platform that is very interesting to learn are there any other uh examples like that that you can give us like i I am aware of the uh you know that the frankfurt airport use of the platform is very interesting to to learn about Uh, are there any other sort of ai or machine learning type of applications that that you've rolled out recently
1: yeah, well, really, the uh, the number one is is foresight and being able to be used by uh, by airlines. So both United Airlines and Delta Airlines, for example, take that data feed ETAs for landing and taxi in time, and they're able to use that throughout their entire system, their entire infrastructure, um, and it enables us to have a much bigger impact on them and on the traveler than an individual application that we need people to understand, adopt and embrace and, and use. So by, use, by receiving the data from Foresight in an API, they can be providing it to stakeholders within the airline that don't even know they're using it, which I think is, uh, is the ultimate success.
0: And before we let you go, it was, it was good learning about, you know, the, the new kind of innovation that FlightAware is, is, is rolling out. But uh, I do have to ask before we let you go, considering that most of us are, are working from home, I'm, you know, of course, recording this podcast from home um how has it been just working you know your flight aware teams working through this pandemic because like you said there, there are still aircraft flying they do need this data it's very important to track this and for planning purposes um how has it been just working through this environment where where most of your team i would assume is, is probably working from home
1: yeah almost everyone at flight aware is is at home some of the team that does uh, manufacturing of our ADSD ground station. They go in on separate days and we have some safe protocols, uh, but probably more than 95% of the team is is working remotely. Um, it was a little strange at first. I think that, um, uh, you know, there was having to adopt to the new norms that, that everyone else is, is seeing. Fortunately, uh, we have a great culture and really good um, relationships. And, you know, we've been in the office day in and day out with folks for, for years, and so we're able to leverage those close relationships to keep things moving. Um, I think everyone had concerns that you know there'd be people would be frustrated with the pace at which things are going, or you know, in collaboration. But we've been delivering product as reliably as ever, and uh, shipping ground stations and providing our API, we uh, we had 100% uptime um, so far in, in 2020 for the first two quarters combined. Um, so the, the experience has been has been really great and uh, people we've had to recognize that people have different circumstances, people have family members they need to take care of people have children, you know schools are out, um, of course, for the March, April and May when we're at home. and. I just said to everyone, look, we're all going to have different things that are going on in our lives as a result of this. And we're just going to be transparent about it and pick up the slack for each other and and be flexible. And that's that's what's been happening. So um, I think the only concern is that it's a shame that, um, you know, it's hard to take a vacation. It's hard to relax. And so I've been telling everyone, uh, you know, try and take some time off because it's tempting to wake up, pull out your computer and just start working. And the next thing you know, it's 7, 8 p.m. because the days are so long. Um, and you haven't had a break. So um, I, we're fortunate. That the, the number one thing is the entire fight of our team has been, been healthy and we're really happy and fortunate about that. Um, we're trying to pick up the slack for each other as people deal with the uh, kind, of, kind of the inevitable realities of this and, uh, and supporting their families. And uh, we're just uh, uh, glad to have such a great team that we can, we can rely on and we can continue to uh, make our, make our customers happy and, Deliver great, uh, great services and experiences day in and day out while while innovating. Um, I think we are excited to get back to the office whenever it makes sense and is safe to do so. Particularly for the hiring side, you know, we're a company that last year was ended up hiring at a rate of probably about four people a month, um, and we had hoped to do that in 2020. But it's just tough right now uh, to you know interview and hire and team build. So I think that's the number one thing that uh, we're excited to get back to and. Uh, it may not be until uh, you know, the end of this year or 2021, uh, but I think that's going to be an important thing to get back to, to be able to uh, continue to grow the team so we can do uh, even more for this industry.
0: Yeah, I think I think a lot of us are really ready to get back to, to some sense of normalcy. <laughs> so, uh, Okay, that's right. well, that's right. he is the CEO of FlightAware. I wanted to say thank you, Daniel, for coming on the Global Connected Aircraft podcast today.
1: Thanks for having me. I I enjoyed it. Thanks so much.
0: So that brings us to the end of this episode. As always, please subscribe to us on Apple's podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Global Connected Aircraft podcast.